0: everyone, and welcome to episode three of Runners Anonymous, the podcast. I have recently just returned from Olathe, Kansas, which is a suburb of Kansas City, Missouri, and I was there for the Garmin Marathon in the Land of Oz. That's the actual new title for it. Uh, It was originally called the Olathe Marathon, then it was changed to the Oz Marathon, and then actually this year, um, Garmin, who actually has their international headquarters in Olathe, Kansas, uh, has kind of sort of taken over the race, become the principal sponsor, uh, and then tried to make the race even more uh, of a good thing. And uh, as you'll hear from the race recap, uh, the folks who had already started this marathon before Garmin got their hands into it had really done a lot of groundwork on this. It was really a good race that can only become a great race now with the help of uh, such a large company as Garmin. So I am going to do a brief race recap. If you'd like to see a larger version of the uh, race recap, uh, I'm going to direct you then to my blog. I have a very nice and lengthy race recap on my blog at www.runnersanon.blogspot.com. And it includes pictures, and it starts from the time that I basically arrived in Kansas, actually in Missouri. Kansas City is in Missouri. Uh, And my travel all the way through, it also includes uh, things that I did while I was there that really have nothing to do with the marathon. But if you're going to travel, you know, and you're going to give yourself a couple of days to uh, kind of enjoy the area, um, you're obviously going to be looking for other things to do. So I have some suggestions uh, for things to do while you're there. But again... uh, I'm going to do a brief recap here, but if you want more information, please go to the blog. And I would appreciate comments when you read the blog, because it does take a little bit of time to write that stuff. So if you have any comments, uh, I would appreciate them. Uh, But for this podcast, I also have some other information. I have not one but two interviews for this podcast. I was lucky enough to get two people to sit down with me and uh, talk about different topics. So that's coming, I also have a new product to talk about, which I learned about while I was at the expo. And then I also have a very interesting thing, which I had mentioned for those of you who follow me on Daily Mile or on Facebook, uh, which is known as the toilet alarm. So you're going to get to hear the toilet alarm that I had in my room at the uh, motel I was staying at. I'm going to explain a little more at the end because the Toilet Alarm is going to be the last thing. So you have to stay all the way through this podcast if you want to learn what the heck a Toilet Alarm is. And uh, it's pretty weird and it's worth sticking around for. But honestly, so are the interviews. So without any further ado, I'm going to get to one of those interviews right now. And then we'll come back and we'll do the uh, the race recap. <music> to coming to Kansas for the marathon, I had reached out to two people for interviews for this podcast. I was very, very lucky that both of them had agreed to sit down with me and do an interview. The first person I reached out to, and will be actually the second interview, is Bart Yazzo. If you're not familiar who Bart Yazzo is, I'll go into a little bit about, about him before uh, his interview later in the program. But the second person I reached out to, since I was going to be at Garmin World Headquarters, uh, was a guy named Justin McCarthy. Justin McCarthy is in the Media Relations Department of Garmin, and I sat down with him for about 10 minutes just to discuss Garmin in general, um, their view of their field, where they came from, Um, Many of you may not know that Garmin's actually not a very old company. Um, It's actually only been around since uh, 1989, so it's a relatively new company. But it's got a very interesting history, and I thought in the interview, Justin uh, kind of put forward as to why so many of us here in the running world love Garmin. And it's not just because they're a cool watch. Uh, If you know any more about the company, they really do an awful lot of giving back to the community, not just the Kansas community, but other communities as well. So I thought it was really appropriate, since I was out there, to actually have uh, somebody from Garmin also talking on the podcast. So what you hear first is my interview with Justin McCarthy. So I'm here with Justin McCarthy, Yeah, yeah. Media Relations for Garment, the very large building Garment. Um, I'm just going to go off with my first question. So. Um, um, Having lived in the East Coast, first of all, didn't expect uh, Olathe to actually look like it did. I'm not really sure what I expected Kansas to look like. You know, all I know about Kansas is Toto and Dorothy right. and, and tornadoes. Um, and this is really a very cool area. wasn't expecting to see. Uh, uh, it's just a,
1: such a big area, too. Kansas. It is. It is. Yeah. You know the and um, you know, there's been a lot of growth in this area. Uh, the, the, the Kansas City area has a has has a lot of history. Mm-hmm. All the all the way back from, you know, the jazz and blues clubs um, to the to the stockyards, and um, you know, there's lots and lots of uh, architecture in the in the area. Lots of trees. It's uh, it, it, it's certainly not in the city. It's not quite as flat as people would think. It's mm-hmm. actually pretty hilly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's it's a nice area, and I think it's definitely eye opening for for folks who, uh, who who don't know much about it, but but mm-hmm. do take the chance and come visit.
0: Yeah. So I guess my question. So this is the this is the international HQ right here. This is the big nerve center. That's right. right Yeah.
1: This this. So this is our this is our world headquarters for uh, for Garmin International, and um, we have about twenty seven hundred employees that work out of uh, this location. Wow.
0: So I guess my big question. So of course a company this big could be anywhere on the planet. Why Kansas?
1: That's right. Yeah. So our two founders, um, Dr. Menkeo and Gary Burrell, um, from. they they worked in the area um, at uh, through King Radio and mm-hmm. um, and and decided that they were going to uh, uh, take uh, take some of the technology that they were working on and 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 they thought that taking the GPS technology and, and, and providing it for, for at the consumer level was mm-hmm. was uh, was the right thing to do. So so they so they took a risk and they started a started a company in a in a basement and then. Mm-hmm. Um, to a small office, and then to a larger space, and the, the number of employees grew. Uh, the technology within it, the mapping, um, and then I think uh, you know the rest is history. The you know the you know we all know that uh, it's just become um, second nature to you know to to, to hear that voice, um, turn right, turn left, and then on mm-hmm. from from a car dash, and then now um, certainly with the you know with the running products, and then so many airplanes with the aviation products, mm-hmm. we've got. Um, many yachts and boats with with our marine goods. Because um, it was initially an avionics company, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so we started making those those avionics, and um, you know, then took that technology into into automotive vehicles, and then you know now we've got, like I said, a, uh, marine aviation. You know, we've got golf products. We've, we've got a complete line for hunting. Uh, and then, of course, the running and cycling as well. So, you know, we we, we really have something for everyone. It's, uh, it's a pretty exciting place to be.
0: Millions of happy running fans.
1: That's right, yeah. Um,
0: That's out, out of I had a curiosity. What's your uh, market share? Because, I mean, honestly, you see in the magazines, and I've seen things for other companies. Um, honestly, I can't say that I see other people's watches on wrists. It's always a
1: garment. Yeah, which is you know, which which is great to see. And you know, one of the things that w- that we always joke about is being at, you know, so many of the so many of the engineers who work on these products are, are are either runners themselves who are making the forerunners, or they're hunters who are making these products. And with you know, within the running industry, we'll be out at races, and it's you know, it's it's amazing, and it's kind of a uh, you know nice thing to hear when you hit those mile markers. All you hear is you know hundreds and thousands of beeps going off mm-hmm. and, as you hit those mile markers. You know, it's a pretty nice thing. So. You know, uh, you know, we feel that we're an industry leader in the category. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, w- with with any type of fitness product, it's a it's a tough category to, to actually uh, produce a a uh, you know, tangible number uh, mm-hmm. to you know to say market share. It's just yeah. you know it's tough to actualize. So, you know, we're, we're we feel strongly about our product, and mm-hmm. and, and we want to remain a dominant force and an industry leader. And, Continue to innovate, you know, provide those products for you know for runners of all levels, which is which is key to us. It's not just it's not just the you know the elite marathon runners. You know, we we want to provide a product that's going to benefit you know someone who's walking the dog, and you know someone someone that wants to come back and look at you know look at the end of the month and you know be proud to you know to say that they've walked you know 14 miles walking their dog last month. You know, we hear some pretty cool stories.
0: and as a non-elite runner. I can tell you that that's definitely my opinion. Uh, One of the things where Garmin is head and shoulders over some other companies. I won't get to naming other companies right now, but there are companies who, their stuff, it just seems like it's just made for elites. And uh, not everybody can be an elite. Um, And one of the nice things with running, being such an inclusive sport, it's one of these things that, for example, I got back into it in my late 30s. Um, And you're not going to be an elite your like 30s. You know, if you're going to be an elite, you're going to do that in your 20s because that's when your your body's going to allow you to do that. So, all right. So, what exactly do you do in media relations? What is what does media relations for Garmin entail?
1: Yeah, so so my my responsibilities are within the fitness and the outdoor segment. Um, I speak to members of the media, both mm-hmm. uh, you know, both in both in television, uh, radio, print, um, you know, we handle um, a lot of the editorial coverage. Um, so, you know, when you know, when we, you know, the the great thing about um, how how Garmin handles their editorial coverage is that we, you know, we provide loaner units to to members of the media, and they, and and we encourage members of the media to take our products out and use them. Um, you know, we're not a company who, who when you see something in a in a gift guide or a gear guide, you know, mm-hmm. they, we're we're not one of those companies who who every holiday season is 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 paying money to get. To get that coverage, right. we challenge people to use our products and to write honest opinions about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's high risk and it's high reward, mm-hmm. but it's honest. And yeah. and and you know, we we firmly believe that you know, standing behind our product, and and we hope that you know the you know, the authors of those reviews stand behind their mm-hmm. their work as well.
0: I think people appreciate the honesty as well too. All right. Um, so speaking here, is we're now at the newly named Garmin Marathon. Um, this is the first year that it's got that correct, got that title, correct yeah. um lots of big changes. Can you talk about some of the changes that have happened since you've become the principal endorser?
1: Yeah, you know we 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 came into this about halfway through the year. um it's, you know it's when the decision was made to uh, you know to to work with this uh, work with this great event, and you know so the, the you know many of the many of the changes though though on the, you know, the minor, um, you know, our, our changes I uh, we think are in the right direction, um, yeah. to, you know, to taking, the you know, a race that, that was certainly on the right track to, uh, you know, to, to new levels. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, by being able to bring some of our expertise, um, in running events around the, around the country and around the world, um, being able to add, um, some of the resources like our internal, uh, video team and graphics team and, um, Having some of those folks and being able to design collateral, whether it's from the medals to the, you know, to T-shirts to artwork, um, and then, um, you know, we'll see tomorrow during the, during during the expo actually out at the race, um, you know, we'll have. We'll have samples of all of our products out there. Um, we'll have booths set up, much like our trade show, so that people will be able to see some of our marine products, see mm-hmm. some of our aviation products, really see what Garmin is all about. We want the, we want not only the community of Olathe and the community of Kansas City to, not to to be able to see what this what what this large company does within their community, but the runners around the world and you know around the United States that have that have come in. We you know we want to be able to let them know that. We're not just the name on the watch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're we're runners, um, mm-hmm. we're cyclists. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're motorcyclists, mm-hmm. and and we really do uh, you know live the lives that you know that, that, are, that our that consumers do, and I think that's important for people to see. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Um, any other races that you guys uh, sponsor? We, you know, there are throughout the you know certainly throughout the country and throughout the world. We also sponsor the Rock and Roll Half Marathon series, okay. um, which is a, you know, certainly a popular and ever-growing, um, ever-growing trend right now. Um, you know, that's a, you know, that's a great group of people that work for the competitor group, and um, those are really, really cool races as well. Wow. Um, so, yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of interesting things that we um, give behind. Wow. Um, uh, you know, as you can imagine, there's a lot of requests, and um, you know, we certainly look at, uh, look at all those requests and look to see which which is going to be the benefit for all parties involved and and, uh, and we move forward on them but there's some exciting things yeah excellent, excellent. so um, talked talked about uh, being in the state of Kansas
0: do you feel like a real attachment to this community I and mean, is that part of the reason why Garmin has decided to stay right here because this is where we grew up and you know what this this is the, the place that gave us our chance and you know we're not just going to turn our back and go to Sweden
1: yeah, for sure. You know, this is a yeah, this is a great place for uh, you know for the employees to live. It's a great place to have a business. It's it's very centrally located. Um, so yeah, there's you know there's all kinds of reasons. There's um, you know it, it's a you know it's a great community environment. Um, uh, and 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 I think that you know that that really shows within the leadership of our company. Um, you know that it's that it's very family oriented. Um, that uh, you know the, 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 the people having responsibility for themselves. Uh-huh. Um, you know, n- not being afraid to hand to lend a lend a helping hand. Sure. Um, sure, you know we see that from internally, and we see you know certainly with our internal folks helping out the community. We've got an enormous amount of employees who uh, who are part of part of um, committees and part of all, all different types of volunteer organizations in our in our community, which is just great. Okay, excellent. And there's really good barbecue here. <laughs> there is a good is, reason to stay here. There is really good right barbecue. Right there is. There, yeah. yeah, there is indeed that. You know, that's one thing that's that's always asked of us from, uh, you know, from visitors is, is which barbecue restaurant should we get to. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate it very much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks thank you for taking you. the time. Best yeah, best of, uh, and, best of uh, luck tomorrow with the Garmin Marathon. Thank and, you very much. And we hope to, hope to see you back in years to come. Excellent. All right, thank you. Thanks much.
0: Okay, so as promised, here's a brief race recap from the Garmin Marathon. I'm going to start off, though, by giving a little bit about the Expo. Expo was at the local Holiday and Expo was small uh, compared to some of the other uh, races I have done. I've done. I've done some pretty big ones. Um, I've done Disney, and I've done Marine Corps, so those are Gigundo marathons, Um, but even based on smaller marathons that I've done, uh, Frederick Marathon in Maryland, Baltimore Marathon, um, even uh, the Martian Marathon that I did last year in Dearborn, Michigan. This one was small compared to those. Uh, It was very well organized, but it was small. Uh, the majority of things at the expo had to do with race packets, race information, um, (coughs) and uh, Garmin in particular. There really wasn't a lot of vendors there. I'm not going to say how many, uh, because I don't want to get that number wrong, but it really wasn't a lot of vendors. Um, The vendors that were there were, were good, and actually I'm going to talk to you about a new product Uh, It was actually a product that was developed in Kansas um, that I thought was really interesting and I purchased. Uh, It's a nutritional product, so uh, we'll get to that after the uh, race report. Uh, But one of the things I did like about the expo, lots of times you hear at expos they want you to bring ID. These guys really did. Um, They absolutely needed to see my license to make sure that I was who I said I was. Um, and then when they got that, they printed out a nice little ticket and on the ticket it actually has my race number, my first and last name, the marathon or the, the, uh, race that you're doing in my case was a marathon, my age, gender, division, t-shirt size, and my registration date, the date that I went online and, and registered. All that information's right there. So when you go in to get your packet, all you had to do was hand them the slip. There's no chance they were going to get the information wrong or, you know, mishear your last name. It was pretty interesting. The race itself was also well organized, uh, starting with parking. Lots of races, parking is an issue. You have to get there early uh, if you want to get a parking spot anywhere near where the race is going to be. Not the case for this marathon. Um, because Garmin is a huge company, as you just heard, they employ almost 3,000 people. They have a lot of parking and a parking garage on their property. So that's where you parked. Uh, again, probably, no, I would say it was without a doubt the best parking uh, of any marathon I've done. And this is now number 16. So uh, that was really fantastic. Also, very good, again, talking about the organization, of course. Um, was the uh, traffic control. Uh, it can be difficult for marathons, especially smaller marathons, to get this done because if you're going to hire police officers to do this. Um, you're going to be paying them overtime, um, which is not cheap. Uh, depending upon what day of the week it is, if it's Sunday, you might even be paying them triple time, uh, depending upon what their union agreement is. So... This can be a rather expensive thing, uh, especially for small marathons to afford enough traffic control for all the intersections they had. Again, very well organized uh, at Garmin. Uh, There were a number of intersections that I saw, not just one, but two officers manning the intersection. Um, Really no trouble with traffic control. I would have liked it because they had uh, some of the... the race was actually on city streets and so they had cones to try and keep you obviously out of the middle of the street I would have liked if they'd given us a little more room to run on some of those streets but that's really just a minor criticism um, again the best traffic control I've seen of any marathon um, I was kind of surprising this, this is not a huge marathon I don't think they had 5,000 runners could be wrong on that, but I don't think they had five thousand runners. I mean, you compare this to, again, Disney, which gets you know upwards of you know twenty thousand, and certainly the the big big marathons that get even more than that. Um, again, and some of those that done, and I thought their crowd control for for Garmin was better than those, so uh, high praise. The course itself is a very nice course. It's a 50-50 course, and by that, it's 50% road, 50% trail. Now, don't get really excited when I say trail. It's paved bike trail, so the whole thing is still asphalt. Uh, so you don't get a break for 12 miles of the marathon. You're still on asphalt. Um, but you do have the change of scenery from city streets initially uh, and one spot, which was uh, around the circumference of a, a local shopping center, And then into a subdivision, Uh, and it's amazing, you know, here in the middle of the country, and it's amazing how uh, an American subdivision, unless you're someplace like Arizona or someplace that has its own very, very unique architecture, um, all American subdivisions look so much alike. This could have been a subdivision anywhere in the Northeast, it wasn't. It was in the Midwest, but uh, it's amazing how how much I like these, uh, these areas tend to look. Uh, but then from the subdivision, you then go onto this paved bike trail, and that's the last half of the marathon, essentially. And there's a little bit at the end where you're on sidewalk uh, and then running through a school parking lot in order to cross over and get back to Garmin's parking lot where the finish line is. But the course itself, very nice. Um, you might think, um, that Kansas is flat as a pancake, but as you heard with, uh, Justin McCarthy, it's actually a lot hillier than people realize, at least eastern Kansas is a little hillier than people would realize. So, this was not a, you know, super flat marathon. Um, so that was a bit of a surprise, but it's also nice because, you know, the scenery changes. So very, very nice. The trails are heavily wooded lots of wooden bridges that you have to cross over. Uh, So if you do this marathon, just remember some of the boards are a little looser than others and some stick up a little higher than others. So you really want to watch her step over these things. I did watch one lady uh, almost do a a face plant uh, because one of the boards was probably a half an inch higher than the one in front of it. And she kind of clipped her toe on that. She made a nice save, but you would want to uh, watch your step on these uh, these bridges. And there's probably, there's at least four or five of them. Um, there's a number of these bridges because you're going over these little this little creek. And part of it, there is a, um, a creek or a stream, I'm not sure the actual name of it, um, that you kind of follow along through the woods. So again, parts of it are very, very pretty. Um, and again, I wasn't expecting to run through a forest in Kansas. Um, that was another huge surprise. So it was a nice surprise, too. Um, volunteers, you know, I can't say enough for the volunteers. Uh, I was uh, talking to a couple of people at this marathon saying, you know what? Um, if I ever do write a book, I'm going to write a book about volunteers because that's my dog, by the way, you're hearing in the background. Um <clears throat> I'm going to write a book about volunteers, though, because um, those are the people that uh, really, really um, make these things go. Um, You know, sure, you can say if there weren't runners, there wouldn't be a marathon. But, uh, you know, let's face it. If there weren't people standing out there handing you fluids and doing all this stuff for us, I mean, certainly the larger marathons, anything that has more than, you know, you know 50 people in it these marathons wouldn't actually wouldn't even happen i mean you need to have somebody that says go and you need to have somebody at the finish line to tell you how fast you ran and give you an official time that right there takes at least two people um so you know it's it's the book that i think in running that hasn't been written that really needs to get written and that's you know all the dedication that really comes from the volunteers so can't say enough about them but these volunteers, in specific, um, were just a fantastic group of people, very upbeat. Um, you saw them about every two miles, because I had an aid station every two miles, uh, with Gatorade and water. Very, just very, very nice people. Um, I can say that pretty much about everybody in Kansas. I was very, very surprised how nice everybody was. Again, that might also be because I'm used to the kind of way people are here in the Northeast, and people can be a little bit grouchy up here. Um, did not see that out there. So, um, if that's what you're used to, then you will, uh, not be surprised. If it's not what you're used to, you'll be pleasantly surprised. Uh, of course, the medal itself for the marathon, uh, this sucker is big, um, uh, from the widest part and the highest part, um, and the width, uh, this sucker is four inches by four inches. Um, there are parts of it that are smaller than four inches because there's a design on it. But again, if you take the maximum height and width, it's four by four. This is a big, big thing. It's almost the size of a small dessert plate. Um, and it's a little heavy, so uh, kind of neat. So you're not—they're not skimping out on that. And I actually found out later that, of course, that uh, the Garmin folks actually helped design the uh, the new medals. And something I actually found out at uh, the expo is what they're going to be doing is they're going to be actually changing the marathon medal every year to correspond with how the characters show up in the story as Dorothy enters Oz. So, of course, my medal being the first year, has Scarecrow on it. You can expect if you go next year, you will have the Tin Man. Uh, and the year after that will be the Cowardly Lion. I'm not sure what they're going to do after that, if they're going to bring in other characters, if they're going to bring in, you know, the Wizard himself, or if they're going to go back and recycle the first three. Um, maybe the Good Witch will show up. I'm not really sure. I doubt they're going to give a Marathon Medal with the, uh, with the Wicked Witch on there, but... Um, She was already on the 5K medal, I believe, this year. Um, But they might. You never know. There's lots of characters. So um, (coughs) kind of a neat idea and uh, something for folks who go every year so it's not, oh, you know, here's the same medal I got last year with a different date on it. So uh, really a nice idea. The finish line. The finish line was one of the better finish lines I've been to and that is solely due to and I never caught the guy's name but the guy who was on the mic at the finish line this guy couldn't have been more enthusiastic if he wanted to be Uh, I gave this finish line high marks on this guy's behavior alone Uh, I'm not sure if uh, they had spotters or if uh, somebody was looking with uh, binoculars but when you got within 100 yards of that finish line, they had your number, who you were, and they had announced to everybody in attendance that John Jones, or whoever you know your name is, uh, from whatever town you are from, is now coming to the finish line. Let's give him a big hand. Again, 16 marathons. I don't think more than four of them have done that, have been that personal to say, here you are as you come in some have announced it after you've already finished which is also neat Um, but I can't come up with a better boost in that last hundred yards than to hear your name and your town and hear everybody in the crowd respond to that so um, that was just a huge winner I will say that once you get past the finish line I was a little bit underwhelmed. If I'm going to have a complaint with this marathon, here's where it's going to be. Of course, uh, they were handing out bottles of water. Again, for some people, that's great. For me, it's a pet peeve because I tend to sweat a lot, and water doesn't really make me feel any better. I really need to have something with some sort of sugar in it, so Powerade, Gatorade, something like that is really what I'm looking for at the end of a marathon um, but water is cheaper I understand why they use it so it's a minor criticism there but then of course when they finished I told you all about these really nice medals and they hand you the medal no, some marathons don't put it around your neck I think all marathons should you do 26.2 miles I want you to put that bad boy around my neck and I want you just to hand it to me but what these guys did is they handed it to you in it was all folded up in a Ziploc baggie i can't think of a more disappointing way to get a metal than to get it in a Ziploc baggie i mean at least take the sucker out of the bag and hand me the actual metal so i can put it over my head Because you know i've been running almost twenty seven miles here my hands are sweaty my head is sweaty Uh, I'm going to have a hard time opening a plastic anything at this point uh, just from sweat alone. So, you know, at least take it out of the bag. Um, You know, again, personally, take it out of the bag, put it around my neck. One less thing I have to carry. Um, So that's my criticism there. Then the next thing, and again, a lot of marathons do this, and this is my huge pet peeve. After 26 miles, I think like most people, I'm a little bit tired. Uh, I'm not necessarily thinking as clearly as I normally would, even though I feel fantastic. It really is helpful for me if once I'm done running, anything that you want to make sure that I see, food, fluids, uh, marathon freebies. Uh, for example, this one, there was actually a finisher's shirt. You got an entrance shirt at the expo. And then when you finished, you got an a even better shirt for finishing in addition to the medal, which is really cool. I like that idea. But they didn't tell you about it. Uh, I had to actually see other people walking around with the shirt and, and grab them and go, Where did you get the shirt? And then they had to point out where they were. And it was actually kind of. They were sort of hidden um, where they were located. Stuff like that, much better as I'm crossing the line say, okay, here's where the freebies are, here's where the food is, here's where the fluids are, and if you're not feeling well, here's where the medical tent is, and then send me on my way. Um, I think that's just a better idea um, because you really don't want anybody going home and finding out later that, wait a minute, I was supposed to get a, a post-race shirt, and I didn't see them. Um, I had that problem in another marathon. Um, It was actually at uh, the Martian Marathon last year. Uh, They had boxes and boxes of pizza. But what they were doing uh, is they were walking around with the pizza and handing it out. Now, not a bad idea, but the problem was is that, you know, there were people like myself who didn't get any pizza because, you know, I wasn't wherever they were handing it out, and I would have people direct me, oh, I think they were over in this corner, I'd go over to that corner, and by that time they had left and gone someplace else. So, you know, I did it 26 miles, and you know, I got no post-race food except for, like, half a banana, which, you know, is a little underwhelming. So, uh, that would be, like I said, the the uh, receiving one, I guess I would call it. Oh, it was the only thing that I thought, ah, you guys really need to work on this. Uh, but again, some of the food they were grilling. so they had, you know barbecue, but it's Kansas City. I mean, you have to expect you're going to get you're gonna get barbecue in Kansas City. Kansas City's famous for it. Uh, and they were also were given out uh, two free beers. Uh, some people, beer after a long run is what they want. Uh, again, I really want like a power. That's what my body is craving. It's not really craving beer. Uh, it would have been nice if they'd given you a token so I could go to the local, watering hole and get a beer later I would have absolutely done that but uh, you know right after I finished it, beer is never the thing that I want to have to drink but I know there are people who want that so it, it's nice that they offered it and so you know if I were to give this marathon a number uh, on an eight out of ten or excuse me out of a uh, uh, a 1 to ten scale 10 being the the highest I would have given this an eight. Um, there were a lot of things they did right. There were a couple of things that they did perfectly. Again, the receiving line, um, you know, a little less than I would have hoped for, especially because they did everything else so well. Um, that was probably the bigger issue for me, but, uh, no, definitely a marathon that you want to go check out. And I think honestly, folks, this marathon is going to become a really, really big marathon especially now that Garmin's got their hands in it. Uh, So if you do it, I would highly advise that you do it, if not next year, the year after that, because I think this is likely a marathon that will, it could very well be a 10,000-person marathon, be one of the bigger marathons that's out there. Um, I mean, maybe bigger than that, but this could become a very, very big marathon. So uh, you might want to think about getting to it before that happens if uh, the crowds are, uh, are a bit of an issue for you. Because again, it was, it was a really great marathon. So that's my recap on the Garmin Marathon in the Land of Oz. I mentioned at the expo that I ran into an interesting product. And the name of the company is Rev Honey. That's R-E-V Honey, all one word. And as you can guess from the name of the company, they make nutritional products that feature honey as the main source of sugar, which is an interesting idea. Uh, It's not a new idea. There's actually a uh, company out there, the Stinger brand um, nutritional products. Uh, you might see at uh, some of your local running stores um, that do the same thing. Uh, there's a couple of other products that use honey, but uh, um, this is a Kansas company. Um, so not only do they make uh, um, kind of like the the gels, uh, the one that I have here actually is a peach gel, which is neat. Um, uh, this is essentially uh, honey and freeze-dried peaches. That's about all that's in this. Um, so don't have to worry about some, you know, extra stuff being in your gel if you don't want that to be there. They also make drinks, and they're the same size as the energy drinks that you might see uh, in the stores like Rockstar and all those with a big can. Um, but again, their their main source of sugar is honey. Uh, they actually go to say, I got their circular here because uh, I said, hey, this could be interesting for the blog and the podcast. Uh, it's actually two tablespoons of honey in every can. Um, so kind of a neat idea. I actually had the um, raspberry-flavored uh, energy drink um, and actually was very, very good. Uh, so uh, not, a, not a bad idea. We talked about these energy drinks and stuff before, and we talked about you know what you're gonna find in pretty much all of them, and that being caffeine, sugar, and B vitamins. And true to form, um, they're part of their here, you know, they say that rev honey drinks are especially formulated to boost your metabolism and fuel your body. And here's what they use: honey, sugar, B vitamins. Uh, And then some of them actually do have some caffeine. Not all of the drinks have caffeine, but the ones that do have uh, uh, caffeine from green tea. Um, So you do have, uh, you know, when you do your your homework, you find that a lot of these are are similar uh, in the kind of things they use. These also have ginseng in there. If you remember many years ago, there were a lot of athletes that were peddling uh, ginseng. And if you took ginsana, you'd have more energy. Um, There's some limited research that that actually works. Um, uh, I actually tried it myself. Didn't find it did a whole lot for me. Um, I think running does a lot more for my energy than taking a tablet any day of the week. But uh, uh, again, the products were very tasty. I I personally like honey, so uh, I thought this was an interesting thing. It's a local company. Uh, they do actually have a Facebook page, so if you uh, type in Rev Honey on Facebook, they have a Facebook page, and they also have a YouTube page. If you type in Rev Honey TV on YouTube, you can find more information about this company. Uh, very nice people. Uh, they have, a, like I said, some slick information here, um, but like I say, with everything that uh, is out there, you want to do your do your homework. Um, I did find that uh, with the the gels, they do have a little less, um, a little less calories than some of the other ones. These are 70 calories as opposed to about 100 for a lot of the other gels, goo, cliff shots, things like that. They tend to have more like 100 calories, is 70 calories. So if calories are an issue to you, um, you might want to stick with a honey-based product like Rev Honey. Um, and they also have a few less carbohydrates, but again, they also have very limited, just like I said, this is honey and peaches. That's it. Um, so, uh, you know, not a lot of extra stuff in there. Um, I know, uh, Cliff Shot for, you know, actually also throws in extra sodium. So, um, you know, if you don't want the extra sodium... You're going to get your sodium someplace else, like uh, a Gatorade or something like that. Well, something to think about. But, uh, you know, the product tastes good. Um, and it's uh, another option out there for you. So, it, like I said before, anything that I talk about is going to be in the show notes at the end. But got kind of you know, didn't expect to find a new product when I went out to Kansas. It was a really nice surprise. <music> Well now it's time for our second interview, as I mentioned uh, the first person I reached out to uh, when going to this marathon was Bart Yazo. Bart Yazo was actually going to be in attendance as a guest of the marathon. He actually ran this marathon. I found out later and you'll hear in the interview that he does about a hundred of these things a year. uh I would love to have the you know, have somebody send me to 100 races a year. I'm not sure that I'd want to run 100 races a year, but it would be neat to go to 100 races a year and see how these things work out. Um, But he goes to 100 races a year. Um, He has worked with uh, and for Runner's World for many years now, and his title now is the Chief Running Officer, which uh, during his talk uh, was kind of interesting. He gave a talk to... uh, uh, folks at the marathon and said he doesn't actually have a job title, so he almost gets to kind of decide as to what it is a chief running officer really does. Um, but if you're a fan of Runner's World, you know who Bard is. He's done just scores and scores of not just marathons, but even like some really extreme marathons such as uh, the Badwater, which is a uh, probably the granddaddy of these really extreme marathons. Um, you know Anything that runs you through Death Valley in the middle of the summer is pretty extreme. Um, but also some other really interesting and kind of, uh, maybe even goofy runs. Um, he's done so many of them that he actually put out a book, which is called My Life on the Run, The Wit, Witticism, and Insights of a Road Racing Icon. Um, I don't think Bart would tell you that he's an icon, but certainly to those of us who know who, who he is and know about his exploits, he actually is an icon. Um, the thing that I personally like most about Bart Yazzo, though, um, probably after the Yazzo uh, 800s, which is a speed exercise. And uh, if you want to know more about it, go to Runner's World or buy his book. Uh, there's a big section of it on in this book. Uh, but the thing I like, I'd mentioned before, I'm a registered nurse and I work in mental health. So I deal with a lot of folks with mental health and substance abuse issues. And in this book, you know, Bart is very open and honest, you know, um, uh, from his very humble beginnings. You know, it's very easy to to like somebody who was always a gifted runner and always kind of knew they were going to be a gifted runner and then lives up to that potential. Um, But it's even more inspiring, at least to me, somebody who, you know, kind of bumped around during life early in their years, you know, not really sure what their direction was, um, and then found that direction and then went full force towards it and tried to make the best of it they they could, Uh, especially if they had a, a rougher than normal start, and that's certainly where Bart's book is coming from. You like to see these success stories. Uh, you know, as Americans, we love the underdog, and certainly Bart qualifies as an underdog when you read about the the way he, uh, he started out probably the first, you know, 20 to 25 years of his life. So really inspiring to see the big turnaround and all the things that he's taken, what he's He's learned and giving that back over and over and over. So, really, really uh, pleased that he would agree to do an interview with somebody who is only doing their third podcast ever. But that's the kind of guy that Bart Yazzo is. So, without any further ado, here is my interview with Bart Yazzo. Well, I'm sitting here with uh, Bart Yazzo, the author of My Life on the Run, which is a uh, book about. Uh, his life on the run, um, and uh, it's actually a very interesting book. Um, uh, it's actually a book of several small stories. So if you're one of these people that you know doesn't want to get caught up with a book where you have to think you have to sit down and read the whole thing from cover to cover, which you will, let me just tell you that now, um, it is one of those kind of a books where you can sit down and say, okay, I will read a chapter, and it's its own separate story, and then you'll move on to something else. But I'll tell you right now, once you start reading it, you're going to finish it. Um, so, hello, Bart. Hey, James. How are you? All right. So, uh, just start off. What uh, inspired
2: you to write a book in the first place? Yeah, you know, James. I never actually wanted to write the book, to be honest. But uh, the runners kept asking me. I would do my presentation. I right. never limit where running could take you, and uh, show all these pictures from all over the world. People know I've run all over the world. Done a lot of these crazy races, and people runner specifically mm-hmm. after my talk they would come up to me and say hey I want to buy your book and I would say well I don't have a book and they would say well you have to write a book and uh-huh. I kind of avoided it for a while and then when I committed to it uh, the company that owns Runner's World wrote out, mm-hmm. uh said they would publish it then I said okay I got to do it but I thought I was writing a book about these crazy running experiences I had but mm-hmm. they wanted me to write a memoir uh, when you write a memoir you got to tell the whole story so I started from Right. Early days of my life all well, it's it's more about the failures. I had earlier in my life before I get to any successes And then as you know a lot of crazy runs I've been able to do all over the world and then uh, Finish up with you know, did I have any regrets which I did have one regret as my running career was winding down and then uh, some training chapters in there and then uh, and Then that last chapter is called races. You must do in your running life and since I go to almost a hundred events a year I got pretty good feel on Mm -hmm. what events are out there that people should put on that uh, The term people love to use, that bucket list uh, Mm -hmm. in your running career. Okay, so um, uh, since this was your first book, what was the hardest part about uh, the whole writing process? Man, I'll tell you, the writing process is brutal, to make sure that everything's accurate, to Mm -hmm. go over in great detail, to communicate with all the people that are in the book. Some people I haven't talked to in 10 years, Mm contact them uh you know i tried to share the content which is with as many people as possible so that uh because it was my memory i wanted to make sure it was accurate from other people's perspectives that were in the book sure uh so yeah that was the arduous part uh just to make sure you know as a memoir it's not an autobiography so it doesn't have to be exact to the uh it's it's really my memory Mm -hmm. uh so you know it was fun but i wanted my memory to be truly what happened not uh, not that i was delusional about something that i thought went on yeah. uh, so it was kind of but it was fun to reconnect with all these people yeah okay excellent so uh,
0: what do you think was the most fun of writing the book Was it be just uh, connecting with people that you hadn't talked to yeah time? The, the
2: most fun was the connection and reliving these stories and then uh, i never thought that uh i would receive so many positive uh, emails and connections with uh-huh. people after they read the book. Sure. And, uh, you know, they didn't know the, the, about, about a lot of the failures I had earlier in my life, but once uh-huh. they were out there, they, uh, uh, you know, then to go from where I was to where I am today, uh, you know, it's an incredible journey. And uh-huh. People realize it. Uh, you know, it's just that when you meet most people, you just don't walk right up to them and start out with all the failures you had in life or uh-huh. really right. talk about more of the current things and su- successful things, so, sure. sure. but but if you write a memoir you really have to cover it all. Mm-hmm. Now, this of course being my uh, third
0: episode of my brand new podcast here, um, one of the things I noticed uh, during the podcast was there was a lot of things that you didn't expect. I didn't expect like editing when mm-hmm. it comes to doing a podcast to actually take as long as it did. Like, well, It's just a podcast of me yeah. piecing stuff together, it only has to be an hour. We're talking maybe a couple hours worth of work. No, no, no. A couple of days worth of work. Actually, yeah. To a whole podcast together. Um, what
2: in the whole writing process really kind of surprised you that you didn't expect? Well, I was very lucky to use a co author by the name of Kathleen Parrish. She was mm-hmm. a friend of mine, and she helped me gather. Once I had a lot of the data, she helped me formulate it and made the book flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Kathleen and I had to work a lot of hours together and uh, which actually was fun, but that was something I wasn't anticipating. I didn't realize how many hours we'd really spend just going over detail after detail okay. to really make sure that not only was everything correct and factual, but also the way the book flowed to keep people's interest mm-hmm. and uh, to, to tell the... and also to make sure that we told the whole story, don't don't leave anything out. Okay. Um, do you have a favorite story or favorite stories that are in there? i know uh my wife
0: and i have both gone through this book and my wife likes uh taco bell and the nude run yeah my,
2: the, the nude run I, gets a lot of play which i have to tell you my wife wants you to do both of them <laughs> Yeah. unfortunately she wants you to do both of them at the same time yeah so, i like that uh, that's my wife something the, to you, the uh the nude run gets a lot of play taco bell gets a lot of play yeah. uh but i have to say i i i just have so many fond memories of running Badwater, the Death Valley race, Mm -hmm. back in 1989, when no one knew about this race. Mm -hmm. Uh, People at Runners World Magazine didn't know about this race. I mean, it really was like an unheard uh, thing. So for me to go out there and uh, to do it, to kind of put this race on the map, was Mm -hmm. really kind of a fun thing. And to look at it as a work assignment was Mm -hmm. pretty fun. So you got paid. I got paid to do that stuff. And I still get paid to do these crazy races. That's so it's crazy.
0: That's excellent. Now, in your book, you talk about contracting Lyme disease. What kinds of things do you do now that maybe you wouldn't want to let another person know who maybe yeah. has Lyme disease? But, hey, this is what I've gone through. Does
2: yeah, if you uh, want to continue running, but you can't sure. do what you used to do. Yeah, the damage that uh, occurred to the mostly the right side of my body from mm-hmm. the Lyme disease pretty, beat me up pretty well, and then mm-hmm. I just. You know, I knew my running career was winding down. and You know, I was very lucky to do it for 30-plus years, so mm-hmm. I felt very lucky. But I always tell people that if you contracted Lyme disease, treat it aggressively from the beginning. It's a lot more dangerous than people think. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people have been messed up much worse than I have, so mm-hmm. I, I'm out there always, like, being an advocate to, to be aware of it, but also to really be aggressive in the treatment. If I, In hindsight, if I could change anything, would have been more aggressive on the treatment right from mm-hmm. the beginning. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, any
0: plans to write another book? I mean, you mentioned 100, 100 yeah.
2: events a year. I mean, I, certainly yeah, I just finished a training book with a couple other editors, and then I wanna, I wanna write a sequel to My Life on the Run. Nothing about myself, really about the people I get to meet and the experiences I get from their perspective and how cool a job I have, how I get to do the stuff I do. Mm-hmm. I was actually talking with a lady here and um, was actually going to be here
0: at uh, the Garmin Marathon tomorrow at 4.30, helping to set up, and I always thought that would be an interesting
2: concept. Yeah, the, a, the unsung you know, heroes, you know, our sport, sport is a volunteer, volunteer sport, and it is, yeah. uh, we're very lucky without these volunteers, this right. wouldn't happen. Absolutely. Um, so I guess last question here, um,
0: running is of course a very... Runners as a group tend to be rather outgoing. Um, yep. It's easy to strike up a conversation with another runner, even if it's somebody you've never met before. We're just like that kind of a group. But it's also a very introspective kind of a sport. You sure. tend to do a lot of thinking about yourself.
2: Um, if you were to pick out one or two things that you've learned about yourself from running, what do you think those things would be? Yeah, I learned by myself that, you know, if you really put your mind to something, you really can do it. it you know, mm-hmm. it it's a reachable, attainable goal. Mm-hmm. And running kind of teaches you that, because there are Absolutely. no shortcuts in running. You have to put in the hard work. You have to commit to it. You have to figure out the work you have to do to accomplish it. And, and that is my favorite thing. And I always tell people new to sport, the clock doesn't lie. It's you against the clock. You can be competitive against other runners, but most of us don't win the races. So it really is yourself against the clock. That's so right. you go out and challenge yourself set a goal, do the hard work to get there, and, you know, that's the beauty of it. There are mm-hmm. just, you know, you're pushing yourself, you're challenging yourself, you're setting the goal. And when you accomplish it, it's, it's, uh, it can be a life-altering uh, experience, uh, you know, comes into play in all facets of your life to prove everything. You learn a lot from pushing yourself and taking yourself to a, a limit you never thought possible. That's fantastic. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, Jim. I do appreciate it. Keep up the good work.
0: will be on PA before me because I guess you're leaving right after the after the I race leave tomorrow. at
2: three thirty tomorrow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're ever in Redline, stop by and say hi. I will do that. Thank All you. right.
0: Well, that just about does it for this episode. But before I go, I owe you an explanation of the toilet alarm. So here it goes. As usual, when I travel, I tend to stay in budget motels. This particular trip, I was staying in a microtel. Microtel's not a bad little budget motel. Um. You know, it's uh, basically a room with a bathroom, Uh, not a very big room. But I've never really had a problem with uh, the sheets not being clean or anything in the the room not functioning the way it's supposed to. And let's face it, if I'm really traveling, I'm going to spend some time uh, scouting out the area. And literally the only thing I'm going to do in that room is sleep uh, and take a shower and, you know, use the facilities when I have to. Um, but otherwise I'm going to be the heck out of that room, uh, checking out the area if I'm not at the expo or running the marathon that I've traveled there for. So, you know, I don't really need to spend, you know, lots of money on a fancy room that I'm not going to spend any time in. So I'm okay with the budget motels. Again, they got to be clean, but, uh, I'm okay with them. What I was not expecting was to get something like this, the toilet alarm. Now you're asking me, what exactly is a toilet alarm, Jim? I have no idea what that is. Well, let me demonstrate. So there you have it, folks, the very unique toilet alarm. Uh, That toilet made that sound every single time I flushed it. I was there for three and a half days. Made the noise a little less in the evening, so I have a feeling it has a lot to do with the amount of water pressure in the pipes. Um, Much louder in the morning than in the evening, but uh, I got to tell you, the first time I heard that, I thought it was, uh, a fire alarm, and I was about ready to, uh, you know, zip up really quickly and, uh, run out to the hallway to find out what was going on, When I finally thought quickly, went, wait a minute, this noise is coming from my bathroom, so, uh, you know, it was one of those things, like I said, there's always something weird that happens on trips, at least for me anyway, um, and it's something I certainly was, uh, chuckling about, um, the entire time I was there that I, you know, I uh, go to a budget motel and I get a toilet alarm. So uh, there it is. My weirdness for this trip and the end of this podcast. Thank you once again for downloading and listening to this podcast. I do really appreciate comments. If you'd like to send me some, uh, my email is podcast at yahoo.com and the page for this if you haven't already found it is www.runnersanonymouspodcast at blogspot.com and that's where you can find the show notes thank you very much again i have another marathon coming up in may might even have two marathons coming up in may so i might have some two marathons to talk about next month but as you can tell i'll also have other things to talk about So that's all for now. Gotta run. Cue music.